Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, every once in a while, well, actually every day, we have an unbelievable show for you, and today is that day. We'll get into the NBA and all that. We got Jonathan Hutton. We got Anson Fredericks. Uh, Anson Frederick is somebody you're going to want to hear. You're not going to believe what rich white dudes are trying to do to us. Anyway, but I start with this. I start with Brittany Griner. So there's a guy named Alex Stein who apparently is a YouTube uh, blaze provocateur. He's not afraid to go in and ask people questions. Well, Brittany Griner and her teammates are in the airport. Brittany Griner and her teammates are just like you and me. I mean, when I go in an airport, I'm not saying I'm at Brittany Griner, get arrested, and the president gets you out of jail uh, in exchange for a mass, 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 mass murder because you're part of the LGBTQ and black and lesbian, and you feel, check every box community, so that's why we had to get you out. I'm not part of that. I'm not that big a star, but when I go to the airport, people come up and talk to me. I've had people videotape me in restaurants, in bars, in different places all the time. I mean, what the hell? But we're not allowed to do it to Brittany Griner. We're not allowed to because it's scary. Because we have to make a big deal about it. Because we have to say, well, 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 it's just not right. She must fly private. The whole league must fly private. The WNBA plays all summer long. I mean, you most of us didn't even know the WNBA was playing right now. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not. I live 20 minutes maybe from where the WNBA plays. I did... 14 years as a broadcaster, and half the time I did not know, and I swear I'm sorry, but I did not know. When the WNBA had a game, I loved talking to Lynn Dunn, who is in charge of the fever. She was great. I loved her. Great. But I didn't know when the WNBA played. So every day, probably for the next, oh, I don't know, couple months, three months, last month, WNBA players are going to be walking through your airports. WNBA players are going to be in your lines, in your restaurants, in your airports. You may see them. Uh, In the baggage line, getting their bags, you may see them as you are getting through your check-in. TSA, clear. You may see them, but has never anybody cared? No, nobody cares. But the one time, and this is where LGTQBWNBAEIEIO are really smart. The one time somebody dare, dare ask a question of its biggest star, its biggest name. Oh, my God, the whole league needs private jets. The whole league. We all need private jets. We need private jets. We got to have private jets. And if we don't have private jets, then I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? I mean, we got it. This is how smart they are. When you deal with somebody that is in and of this community, they know how to take the littlest thing, because it is a little thing. I mean, a guy asking her, hey, did you have to sleep with Putin to get out of, <laughs> to get out of Russia? I mean, come on. You know, Ryan's all over it. Nick's all over it. Dylan's all over it. The tough questions. And the funniest thing today was there's some guy named Ryan something, Ryan Smith. He's the new diversity hire anchor at ESPN. He's trying his hardest to be like the next cool guy. All right. 
When he talked about Brittany Griner, he talked in hushed tones. He talked like somebody had passed away. Brittany Griner was questioned at an airport. I get questioned every day. What do you think of Bobby Knight? <clears throat> I mean, what's the big deal? But I don't go, well, you know, I need to fly private. Hell, I had, and you've heard this before, 12,000 idiots at the Breslin Center yelling, hey, we hate Dockage. We hate Dockage. Did I ever hear from Izzo? All I heard from Izzo, my friend, was what a jackass I am. What? What did I do? I showed up to do a game. I never heard from the AD. I never heard from the president. Imagine if I was Jay Williams or Brittany Griner. We hate Williams. Imagine how I was something other than a, oh, I don't know, at the time, 51, 52, 53-year-old white dude, heterosexual white dude. Imagine if I were gay. That's what I should have done. The next day, I should have come out and said, well, you know, that's hate. They're hating and just said, I'm gay. I mean, I can, you know, I can say whatever. Who cares? I can say, I'm gay. I'm gay. I can't believe they hate gay. I mean, what are they doing here at Michigan? Oh, you know the apologies I would have gotten. Oh, but I'm telling you, man, the community can get it done. The community gets it out there, and I mean, they go, and they go hard. They fight any little slight, and they pounce on it. Now we need private jets. Our league sucks. Our league, I mean, our league's fine. I don't care about the league. Our league doesn't make any money. It sucks the money out of the NBA. There is no money. Nobody cares about any of these supposed stars. Say, stay, fine. Pay your own way. Get your private jets, and let's go. But the bigger story is, guess what? We got it. We can't question. Because if you question Alex Stein, if you question, well, golly gee, you're not allowed to do that. All right, why not? Why are you allowed to yell hate at me? Why is a cop allowed to say shoot Dockage in the head? Why is a Michigan State fan allowed to come at my kid's door and nobody says a word? Why is that? Why can I? Why? 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 And why? Why? Because I'm not part of the community. And I don't care. Don't tell me, well, it's hard being a white guy in the United States. There's nothing to do with that. No, my point is, look, we all understand. A little slight. Oh, man, we need private jets. Get them all private jets. Every player in the WNBA flies for uh, uh, <laughs> flies private. <laughs> Jeez. Because somebody questioned her. Somebody dared que- Don't dare question Brittany Griner, the dope-smoking lesbian LGTQ member. Don't dare question her. (laughs) What are you, nuts? I'll tell you who's nuts. I don't like parents. I got some friends that as soon as they start talking about their kid, I shut it down. I don't listen. I don't care. I don't. You do. Great. I was a dad. My kid came up and played. I never spoke of my son ever, ever. Well, you know, Andrew's doing this. Well, you know, uh, but no. No, you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. It'll be a short answer. It will not be a long answer. It will be a tiny answer. It will be, no, he's doing great. Where's he at? Illinois State. How's their season? It was really good. What's your daughter doing? School teacher in Nashville. Let's play golf. Now, that's how I roll. That's how you should roll. That's how everybody should roll. I don't need to hear about Todd, the next Todd Marinovich. I don't need to hear about Baby Gronk. But you know what? We got some guy, Baby Gronk. And somehow, some way, this guy has infiltrated the consciousness of the world, even to the point where you're going to see this coming up right now. You're going to see a tweet from the New York Times. I, is the kid gay? Is the dad gay? 
Is the kid a liberal? Is the kid way, way, way left? I mean, what, what is, why are we doing this? Is he getting a, a, is he transgender? I mean, there's no way the New York Times would put a tweet up like this if it wasn't some type of thing involving this. This is the New York Times right here. It, what, what, is the kid transgender? That's the only way you would, you would think talking about a 10-year-old. Baby Gronk is a 10-year-old whose father is pitching him as the next big thing in college football. He's a real athlete. He's not a normal kid. He's been training in programs since he was six years old. We put five or six days of training. He diets. He eats clean food, salmon, and brown rice. He is in a routine. He's a real athlete, not a normal kid. How stupid. How stupid. I mean, look, we all know how this ends. Somebody asked me the other day about there's another player at Indiana who is like a social media guy, Indiana basketball. Well, what do you think? I go, we all know how it ends. It ends in disappointment. It ends in loss. It, it just, we all know Todd Marinovich's story. We all know. And there's more. I mean, look, this is the dumbest story on the internet, but the best show on the internet is talking about it. Splain, J.J. Watt's talking about J.J. Watt's talking about this story. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. I don't know why I'm talking about it. The only reason I'm talking about it is to express once again that I feel like parents are idiots. I feel like parents are dumbasses. I feel like parents ought to shut up. I feel like parents should go away. Don't go away parenting your kid, but go away putting them in the public eye. Kids should play multiple sports. Kids should be, I'm not advocating, but no kids should be playing one sport all year. No kids should be training like a pro until high school. They're kids. Yeah, good for you, J.J. Watt, but I don't care what J.J. Watt feels. How many kids he got? Seriously. I mean, how many kids he got? Take it from this guy right here. An active mind crushes souls. Oh, excuse me. An inactive mind crushes souls. An inactive mind leads to drug use and alcohol and trouble. I don't care what sport, play it. I don't care what job, go to it. I don't care. Sitting around on your front porch like it's uh, boys in the hood ain't great. I'm telling you, it ain't great. I don't care whether it's in a white, black. I don't care whether it's a rich, poor neighborhood. A lot of rich dudes are shooting each other. A lot of rich dudes are all jacked up. More money, more problems. Get off your ass. Go do something. And I don't want to hear about it. This guy, Todd Marinovich, was a project. His dad put him in the same deal as this baby Gronk idiot dad. They're all idiots. Get off your ass. Go do something. An inactive mind leads to problems. I'm just glad in this country, I'm just glad that there's a dad at least looking. I don't care what J.J. Watt has to say. I've always said, was he 32? Was he 35? I mean, kids, take it from me. Grizzled. Been with parents uh, my whole life. Been with kids my whole life. Raised kids. Two of the best kids ever. You want me to give you 10 minutes on them? I can. I can tell you about, oh, my God, do you know my son? No, shut up. A very good friend of mine at the time, no longer a friend of mine because, well, he's just a bad guy named Ron Felly. I had a baby. I had Andrew. We're sitting at lunch. I'm sitting there, and I must have talked about my son too much. Felling looks at me, he goes, hey, Dan, we've all had kids. I go, you're right. You'll never hear them from me again. You're absolutely right. Baby Gronk my ass. Get the Mar- Marinovich problem. The whole thing is giving modern-day Marinovich problem. Yeah, of course it is. You know what, though? It's, it's the same but different. Marinovich's dad wanted him to be an all-world NFL player. Now people are so stupid, they just want a, I don't know, a scholarship. I want that, I want that bag, man. I want that bag. 
Hey, we got some fun stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing dumber than parents. Parents that give you a headache. I'm glad we got parents. I'm glad you're a parent, but nobody wants to hear about your kid. Period. Kata Bates-Diop's dad was the best. Kata Bates-Diop was a first-round pick, I think, player of the year in the Big Ten. He played with Andrew. You couldn't get him to talk about his son. You couldn't get him. And remember, this guy here, Marinovich, he'd been arrested more times, nine, I think, charges ranging from drug possession to sexual assault. Let your kid be a damn kid. And this ain't coming from Captain America, J.J. Watt. This is coming from me. Somebody that pays attention to everything around him, including parenting, including kids, and including your big mouth around your kid. Jesus. If that is that baby Gronk, I'll tell you right now, he got no shot. I can tell by the face. I can tell by the He got no shot. And he's 10 years old. So do this. Just play every sport, baby Gronk, or whoever the hell you're calling yourself. And dad, get over here. I'm going to kick you right in the ass. Dad needs a kick in the ass. Speaking of physical contact, we've got some physical contacts for you today. Hey, John Sterling is a longtime announcer for the New York Yankees. John Sterling can no longer, no longer can John Sterling claim any kind of tough guy status. Watch this video. He gets hit by a foul ball. Watch this video of John Sterling and listen to what John Sterling says. Now the 3-2 swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! Ow! It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. And Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball at the third. Donaldson squares, throws to first, in time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. You know, that foul ball actually hit me. It kind of glanced off my forehead. So I took one for the team. Okay, John, um, my best star of the game is Kyle Higashioka, who wants to know if you're all right. Are you okay, John? Yes. Okay, I, yes. I am okay. Just a glancing blow. Just a glancing blow. Yeah, I take that back. I love John Sterling. John Sterling, the ow, ow, ow. Uh, I took my, my mother-in-law passed away. We're going to talk about this in a minute. And I took my brother-in-law at my stepson, and we had some beers. And we did a shot in honor of my mother-in-law, Sandy Ross. And my brother-in-law is a big, strong, toughest guy. No, I would never mess with him. He's about 54, 55, built like this, an iron worker. He takes a shot of fire. So we started calling him Anderson Cooper. You know what I mean? Because if you saw Anderson Cooper, John Sterling went from getting hit in the head to owie, 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 to calling the game. John Sterling, you're a freaking star. Yeah. He called it. And I've always wanted to see what John Sterling looks like when he does the Yankees win. The Yankees win. That, ladies and gentlemen, was fan-freaking-tastic. All right. This is the story of the day. I know the Canadian Open. Nick Taylor got it done. He hit a putt from me to you. And we're far away. But the story was Adam Hadwin, a tour player, a Canadian, who ran onto the green to celebrate and this is what happened to Adam Hadwin. Boom! A security guard just nails him. Hey, let's show that again. Make sure people get a chance to see it. A security guard just nails my man. Boom! Oh, man. I mean, just crushes him. 
And it wasn't over for Hadwin. We got to get Hadwin's wife on the show. Boom! Taking him down. He's spraying champagne. The champagne's still spraying. Good for him. But this is on the green. Let me tell you something. Those PGA Tour guys up in Canada, the Royal Mountie Police, boom! Down goes Hadwin. So Hadwin goes down. But I got to tell you, his wife, sympathy is between sh- and syphilis in the dictionary at least in the Hadwin family. Let's show the tweet from Hadwin's wife, man. She not messing around, Hadwin's wife. She don't care. She knows what's going on. Sorry to leave y'all hanging. Had to get the toddler ready for bed. I'm thrilled to report that Adam Hadwin is still among the land of the living and in true Canadian form, apologized to the security guard for being tackled. Yeah. Jonathan Hutton getting ready to join us here in a few minutes. You're going to love Anson Freerick. Anson Friedrich is awesome, man. He's going to tell you why all of these companies. Oh, boy. Lula saw a dog. Lula saw a dog. Lula saw a dog. I got to turn it off because Lula saw a dog. What other show in America do you get this kind of action, huh? I didn't even know Lula was down here, but Lula saw a little puppy, and now she's losing her mind. That's right. That's why you like this show. You never know what's going to happen. So there you go. Uh, Love is love, ladies and gentlemen. Is it not? See, love is always love. You know what I mean? Love is love until, guess what, old white dude starts dating a younger woman. And then it's like, well, he's got money, man. No, I say love is love. Love is love, baby. It's it's Pride Month where you can go see two adult men humping in front of children. That's the kind of pride we're talking about in this country. Anyway, it's Pride Month. Love is love. Bill Murray, 72 years old, is dating someone named Kellis. I guess she's famous because she has one name. I don't think she's exactly reached Cher, Madonna. I don't know, but apparently Kellis is a thing. And Bill Murray, who looks like 10 miles of bad road, is dating her. Look at this matchup. Love is love, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, Kellis, you can't do any better than that. The bad hair, the pocked face. Somebody told me one time, yeah, and you look like Bill Murray. I punched him in the head. I want to look like Bill Murray. I don't, I don't have to. (laughs) Love is love. And by the way, why do we have to run around naked and hump in front of little kids during Pride Month? Is there a reason? Like, I'm all in on the LGBTQ community. I'm all in on all of it. But why do we got to be humping everybody? Why does everybody got to be a humping in front of little kids? Doesn't seem right. I don't know. It doesn't. Not to me, anyway. Hey, we got Jonathan Hutton. Coming up here in a few minutes. And, you know, Jonathan and I are going to discuss a number of things. All right. There's a couple things I want to get into. We've all been there. Oh, before we do, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. You remember Ted Kaczynski? Ted Kaczynski is the only guy, well, maybe not the only guy, but Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, he was bombing places. He went from living in a shack that was like four by six to a jail cell that was like six by eight. So he actually moved up when he went to Supermax in Colorado. Friend of the lovely Lee Ross uh, used to hang with the Unabomber, or she was his guard. She's big Amy Kelly. I love Amy Kelly. Uh, anyway, Amy Kelly hung with the Unabomber and said he never said much. But the Unabomber killed himself the other day in the prison. Now, as you know, um, we don't know whether people actually kill themselves in prison or we're just told they kill themselves in prison. You know, see Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, but 
The Unabomber is dead. It was a manhunt. It was an all-out manhunt years and years and years and years ago. Years ago. About the Unabomber. He was the most wanted criminal in the world. The Unabomber hung himself. If you get a chance, check out the daggone, uh, whatever you call it, documentary on the Unabomber. It's really good. And the dude is really smart, but he's, like most, he's just incredibly, incredibly whacked out. I mean, completely whacked out. A couple of things. (laughs) Uh, A guy caught a nine-foot-long catfish in Italy. Now, here's why that's important, Jennifer. A nine-foot-long catfish. So the other day, again, my my, uh, stepson and my brother-in-law, Donnie, we had to get out of the house. And I'm going to talk about the lovely at the end of the show. I'm going to talk about uh, the beautiful Sandy Ross and her unfortunate passing at the end of the show. Look at that bad boy right there. So Donnie, myself, and Jared, we go to Cabela's just to get out of the house. I mean, when somebody passes, you got to get out of the house. You go get a beer, you go do something, right? I bought, because of this catfish that I saw, we went to Cabela's. I'm like, Donnie, he's a fisher and a hunter. I need a new fishing pole that catches catfish. I got a lake out there, and I see these catfish that are big. But this bad boy is over nine feet long. And think about this. This is why we celebrate it. I would never just put a catfish on the show. But this is likely the largest catfish ever caught. Ever. In the history of the world. All points on earth. This is the largest, the biggest, the most grande. And when that happens, you deserve to come on our show. I'm not just putting anybody on our show. I'm putting the biggest catfish there. Look at this. That thing looks bigger than nine freaking pounds to me or nine feet to me. That thing looks, I don't know, man, but I don't know if I would be hanging out with it. Catfish are nasty suckers to begin with. But anyway, good on you. In Italy, you caught the biggest catfish. Now I'm inspired to take my new $45 catfish rod and reel out to my lake, put a little bread, put it on the bottom, and see if I can catch one of these bad boys. That's right. Who doesn't want to catch a catfish? Seriously. Uh, Dirks Bentley did something. Dads, listen up here. This is bad. Like, this is something that we've all had to do, and I, I don't know. He documents bra shopping with his teenage daughter. Now, if you don't know who Dirks Bentley is, Dirks Bentley is a country star. Dirks Bentley's really good. You'd like people that like us would like Dirks Bentley. All right. So Dirks Bentley is bra shopping with his teenage daughter. Now, my thing was always, hey, you got to go with your mom, man. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I would do it because I was that kind of dad. All right, let's see what Dirks Bentley put out as he documents bra shopping with his daughter. I believe that's a bra. Obviously. Lightly lined? No, we need the bra tops for these. All right. Oh my God, Dad, we found it. Dad, we found it. See, we nailed it. Oh, these are bikinis. Oh, we didn't find it. Okay. Uh, no, we're not doing lace. Okay. Uh, we need your mom here. Come on. Man, let me tell you something. Every guy, well, we got about 400 or so people on the YouTube chat. Every guy saying the same thing as me. Uh, call mom. 
know what I mean? Uh, you know, if I were going to get my daughter or go ba- go bathing suit shopping with her, she would get a burlap bag. You know what I'm saying? But Dirk, Dirk, Benz, Dirk Bentley, awesome. All right, I'm tired of players. And I want you to listen to this. See, now that players can have their new little media and there's no repercussions because players apparently, you know, are the thing, I'm tired of them. All they do is whine. They're kind of like me, but cuter. All they do is whine. Let's think about it. They just whine and whine and whine. Jamar Gibbs is a running back from Alabama, all right? All right, so he goes into the NFL. And then he starts comparing NFL practices with Nick Saban's practices. Let's hear that. Guys just whine. Let's go. Let's hear it. What's the difference between an NFL practice and a Nick Saban practice? <laughs> Saban, uh, you probably hear it every day. So, full pads and heat for two hours. Yeah. Here we we get we get good work in, but they don't don't try to kill us. We uh, we good. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to kill you in NFL. They're trying to get you back. Whatever. Like, you know, everybody thinks taking a shot at their college coach matters. Let me give you players a little hint. It's like dating when you're divorced. Who cares who's next? Who cares? Jamar Gibbs, you were here. All right. You're going to give your little smart aleck answer and you, oh, man, you tried to kill us every day. Shut up. You look out like you're some thoughtful. You'll be gone in two minutes. Nick Saban will be there. The smart thing to do is, you know what, man? I love the fact that Nick Saban put me through some hard practices. I love the fact that Nick Saban tried to make me better every day. I love the fact that Nick Saban made me tougher every day. Now, the NFL is a different deal because we're getting paid and you got to be a little more careful. But I love the fact that Coach Saban went at me every single day with toughness, with heart, and challenged me and challenged my manhood every single day. But this idiot, of course, he feels like he's free from Nick Saban. He's free from Nick Saban. I'm free. I'm free from Nick Saban. I'm a man. I'm in the NFL. Yeah, you'll be in the NFL three to five years. Your ass will be wandering around Tuscaloosa, Alabama, trying to get a strength coaching job. You guys act like we don't know this. Oh, you'll be back at home. You act like we don't know this. Seriously. There was a a linebacker for the Colts. Uh, Some dude from Anger, Pat Anger. And he's on my ass because he's from Iowa and you know what? He, uh, he didn't like how I was treating his Hawkeyes. So I said, let me guess, Anger. You're back doing some strength and conditioning at a high school. That's, of course, what he was. I mean, shut up, these guys. Well, you know, Nick Saban. Shut up. Shut up. Seriously. S-U-T-D-F up. I mean, uh, you know, like, uh, you know I'm going to really show him. Shut up. I tried it one time with Bobby Knight. It was stupid. I apologize. I didn't even want to hear. That's the problem you have with players talking. They're stupid. They don't know how to read. They're 22 years old, 23 years old. Hey, Coach Saban was great for my career. They think they did something. Let me tell you something. Gibbs could have been out. Somebody else could have been in, and it would have been fine at Alabama. Gibbs could have gone to wherever, and he would have been fine too. But at least have a little respect for the guy that every single day came into the arena, into the practice, into the building, into the game and try it for you. Best story on Twitter, Raheem Morris saving a three-year-old boy. They reunited. It's the best story. Uh, defensive coordinator of the Rams, Raheem Morris, 
He saved a three-year-old. He ran and saved this little kid in a Vegas pool, I think it was. And look at this. Look at this reunited. How cool is this? I got goosebumps. Seriously. An unresponsive three-year-old boy. Now, he helped save the kid. I don't care. Well, he didn't save him. Somebody said that to me after. Shut up. He ran there and helped save a young kid. That is the coolest story that there is. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong, people. That's the coolest story in the world. It is. And I ain't mad about it. Jonathan Hutton coming up. We're going to talk about a lot of things. I got to find out. You know my Colts, right? Now, I am all about who ranks the rankers. My Colts are ranked 30th. 3-0 in the NFL in terms of roster. The Colts had like the greatest roster and the greatest GM and the best draft picks. I got two words for you. My backside. We're going to talk NFL football, give you a little NBA preview with the most handsome man in broadcasting, not named Doc. It's the great Jonathan Hutton. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You see him, you know him, you love him. Jonathan Hutton, most handsome second to Dockage, of course, man, in the history of television. I'm going to throw you a curveball. We didn't discuss this, yeah. but I just saw this, and I did, I did want to talk to you about this, and I fell asleep last night before I, before I sent it to Nick. De Niro, Murray, and Pacino, two of the three are having kids at like 80 years old. Murray's just dating some much younger girl. Hey, Jay Hutt. I told my first wife, I'll have 15 kids, but I'm done by 35, uh, 80, 70. You want kids at 80 or 70? Hell no. I mean, I, I, I mean, no. I don't have kids right now. Uh, I mean, look, th- these guys are setting the bar for Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Like that. This is <laughs> right. if you're looking for like Leo's got it all. Where are the where are the goals set for him? How high is the bar? Uh, it's knocking some blonde up at the age of 80. Uh, as she's just fresh out of college. Uh, uh, your turn, uh, Leo, as you look ahead and, and see what's in store. No, I'm with, yeah, yeah, Leo, Tom Cruise, here's your future, pal. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm too selfish. Hey, I'll be the best dad step or whatever, but I'm too selfish. I'm looking at these two. And then, look, I would know what I looked like, and I would have to question any woman that would want to have a kid with me. You know what I mean? Like, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? What, you know what I mean? Dude, I, I also, like, uh, isn't it, like, I mean, I, I would honestly look into it and think, like, uh, is this really, is Pacino, I mean, have you seen him, Dan? Have you seen Al Pacino? Yes. Yes. It, uh, it look, yes. It, he looks like uh, he is, like, it, it laid out in, in, in state. Uh, he looks dead. Um, that last time we saw him in, in, in a photo posing with his girlfriend. It's insane. My wife got mad at me because on the show the other day, I said, yeah, that's if I'm that girl's dad. Yeah, I want to <laughs> see that guy bouncing up and down on my daughter at 90 years old, for Christ's sake. Uh, he's not doing <laughs> I anything. I mean, what in the hell? He's laying there. Trust me. He's laying there. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. I just saw Outkick had a great article on it, and I wanted to talk to you about it. All right, tonight, Nugget. Oh, look at this. Yeah, that's what I want. I want Pacino. Hey, Nuggets get it done tonight. Feels like.
Yeah, I mean, the wake-up call was in game two, right? That was the Heat's chance. Jokic is unbelievable. Murray, the entire team, well-coached. This is their season. The dominance of the Denver Nuggets, the number one seed. And honestly, they've it's been a cakewalk. I mean, they have not really had that much competition against Miami, nor should they for that matter, given the fact that Miami's an eight seed coming into the postseason and made the run to the NBA Finals. I have a lot of respect uh, for uh, Butler and, and others, but, man, when I look at uh, Jokic, it amazes me that he was a back-to-back -back MVP, Dan, and I really didn't watch him all that much in the regular season. I don't watch a lot of NBA. I think the regular season sucks, and it doesn't entertain me. But this Denver Nuggets team does. The, the, the Golden State Warriors do and, and, and did – and I think now moving forward, Denver's going to get a lot more of the, the national uh, viewing audience that, you know, quite frankly, I'm tuning in to watch inside the NBA when the regular season game ends and Charles Barkley and Shaq and, and Kenny go, go on camera. I mean, that's the most entertaining part of the regular season for me. Now I'm tuned in to Jokic. I agree with that. I, I agree. I, I always liked Jamal Murray from a couple of years ago. He made one of the best plays I've ever seen a guy make. But I don't watch him during the regular season. No. I, I, I don't. And I'm, I'm totally with you, but I'm fascinated. And I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, generally, I watch the second half no matter what. Like, even the playoffs, I'll watch the second half. But Jokic is fascinating. I think they get it done. All right. I got to ask you because people – I've always said this. Who ranks the rankers? Brad Stevens said that to me one time. We were talking about recruiting, and he's like, look, uh, when he was at Butler, kid goes to Duke, he goes from a three-star recruit automatically to a five-star recruit. And their thing at Butler was don't worry about rankings. Who ranks the rankers? All right, I get that. I totally do. But let me ask you a question. You're sitting there. The Colts here have, according to ESPN, the 30th best roster out of 32. In your time doing this and your time getting ready for an NFL season, how accurate are these people? I, I think it's pretty easy, Dan, to get the top tier correct. There's always going to be a team that breaks through. But for the most part, it is Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. Now I think you can throw Baltimore into the mix with Lamar Jackson back healthy, but again, like, we know the, the star power of the teams we've mentioned. Beyond that, in the NFC, it, it's not nearly as deep, and it's, it's very top-heavy. After that, how many teams would I say are in contention for a Super Bowl? Maybe one or two that, that truly make a run and surprise us like Cincinnati did a couple of years ago. But here's where I stand on this, this time of year. Don't buy into the minicamp hype. I have to remind myself of this. It is, it, it's not line season, but it's also like the coaches, the assistant coaches, the players, very rarely, it does happen, but very rarely do they say anything of significance right now in the month of June. Everyone's on, on pace to be back for training camp of the regular season if they had an off-season surgery or they're coming off of an injury last year. Uh, the, the free agents are meshing well with the team. The rookies are, are acclimating. They're, they're, they're on pace. They're picking up the offense and defensive uh, play calling well. Uh, new coaching staffs are, are gelling well with their, with, their play, with their play caller and with their quarterback. 
they say the same thing every year, give or take a few adjectives. And, and, and for me, I, I'm looking back on the last several years. I can't tell you the last time I referenced anything in the month of June, unless it's a big-time injury that happens on the field, which is, is, is rare, that we reference in September when we actually kick off the season. There are a lot of headlines out there. Some of them do matter, not many of them. And, and so I, I think a lot of it is just clickbait. Uh, for NFL riders looking to, you know, stir the pot a little bit. And, and that also tells you the, uh, the clamor that, that is out there for NFL news and notes. Because unlike any other league, year-round, there are sites that pay NFL riders to report on the National Football League because people are going to read it. Is, is Barkley a legit story? Or is this going to, you know, Bar- Saquon Barkley? Yeah. I mean, look. $10 million on the franchise tag. I've got, uh, we're going to get into this uh, later today on, on Hot Mike. But here are the cap hits, Dan, for the, the last four Super Bowl champions at the running back position. They're leading rusher. Last year, for KC, $725,000. That was the cap hit for their leading rusher. $1.8 million the year prior. Uh, and in 2020, $1.9 million. 2019, 1.7 million. Teams are not investing in the running back position. So I think if Barkley's going to pull this and, and, and try to you know, use the heavy hand and the leverage he has right now, have at it, Saquon. But, I mean, it, it, we, we saw what happened whenever other running backs have tried this in the past. It doesn't work out in the running back's favor. He, he, should, he should take the $10 million that's guaranteed play this season, and have another team pick him up or, or demand a trade at the, at the trade deadline because this is not going to turn out in his favor if he's going to try to, to produce what Le'Veon Bell did, which is sit out a year when Le'Veon Bell was quickly out of the league. If you use Le'Veon Bell as your guide, you're an idiot. Yeah. I mean, Le'Veon <laughs> Bell, though, hey, Le'Veon Bell was legit. And then he set out that year. No doubt. Legit. And he set out that year. And I think that really set him back. Saquon Barkley is the, the one back that we point to that, hey, that you get you uh, a number two overall pick. That's likely not going to happen ever again for that position. And uh, Barkley's got to use whatever leverage he has because with this collective bargaining agreement, I mean, it, it's the worst of the four major sports in the country. They don't have much chips to push in the middle of the table. Barkley has some right now, but it's not much because he's guaranteed to get his money based on the tag that was applied. I know the Giants want to extend and get all this thing done, but they did the right thing by tagging him and giving Jones the money. Yeah, look, we have the situation here in Indy. People are wondering, why aren't you extending Jonathan Taylor before you need to? And I'll give Ballard credit for this. I criticize Chris Ballard, but I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm doing it, particularly coming off of an injury where you didn't play basically the second half of the season or last six games or five games. I'm not doing that. No way. You? No, no, no. But they're, see, they're in a good spot right now because Jonathan Taylor, I believe, only counts $5 million against the salary cap. So that's yeah. outside of the top ten. That's not as low as the Super Bowl champs that I've rattled off, but it's also not as high as Derrick Henry here in Nashville. He's the highest on, on a cap hit of any running back in the NFL followed by Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, and then Saquon Barkley on the tag. That's a lot of money that is, that is pushed to the backfield in a passing league where the money goes to the wide receivers and the offensive tackles, unless it's your quarterback. And if you have a quarterback on the rookie deal, 
that's where you load up on wide receiver the way Miami did. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I've said that forever in Indianapolis since you guys dealing with the same thing. You have Burks yeah. and you're trying to get Hopkins. What, what, what came out of DeAndre Hopkins visiting the Titans? Anything? Uh, I, I believe he, he, he was here yesterday afternoon and evening and uh, met with uh, uh, Mike Vrabel, who he knows well, got along with very well in Houston. Rand Carthon, the new general manager, uh, he was also a part of this and, and others throughout the franchise. Uh, look, this, this comes down to what does DeAndre Hopkins want to do moving forward? Does he want to be a pro football Hall of Famer? Does he need to be the number one receiver in an offense? Do, uh, what type of quarterback does he want to play for? And, and let me say that's all on the, the back end of the checklists because number one is what does he want to get paid? Does he want Odell Beckham Jr. one year, $15 million? If you do that, you're likely getting traded at the trade deadline if you sign with a team like the Tennessee Titans. Just, just saying, because I, I don't think the Titans are Super Bowl contenders. Um, it, they would pay the majority of that contract. They would have to make a lot of room right now. They would pay the majority of that contract, and a, a team would be willing to possibly deal a higher pick to them in October in exchange for, for Hopkins. But where are the priorities for him after Houston and Arizona which were disasters in the front office and ownership and disasters as far as head coaches were concerned. They didn't get it done. I, I think it, he's headed to New England today, I believe. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Cleveland get into the mix too based on his relationship with Watson. Yeah, it seems like that's something that a lot of people in Cleveland are saying, no, God, please, we don't need deep. We need a solid franchise. And I saw where players, ex-players for the Patriots are pitching in money. To you know, uh, Garrett Blunt's like I'll put in five hundred for Watkins to, or uh, for uh, for him to come here, Hopkins. Yeah, I mean well, he's thirty-one years old. You worry about uh, okay, is is he similar right now in his career to Julio Jones, who was traded from Atlanta, coming off of a couple of injuries, nagging injuries, where he doesn't. Pr Julio didn't practice that much. I don't think Hopkins practices that much during the season either. Um, Although he put up over 700 yards receiving last year, and he missed six games, and this is it, just comparing it to the Titans, the Titans' right wide receivers who are back on this roster, who were on the team last year, were just around 550 total yards receiving, is what they returned from the 2022 season. They need Hopkins badly, and there are other teams that use him as a supplement. Kansas City and Buffalo by adding Hopkins, will add a piece to the puzzle that will go help them win, either in Buffalo's case, their championship, or in Kansas City's case, continuing their dynasty and their run that they're on currently, where it is reload off of what is always a playoff run with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Great stuff, my friend. Have a great afternoon, man. Hot Mike, three to six right here. Thank you, my friend. You got it, Dan. Always great to be on with you. Have a great week. You too. Uh, AMC Awards, AMC Fest. Uh, I forgot to talk about this. Jonathan just said that he went to see Dirk Bentley, who is our new hero, Jonathan Hutton, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we got some people against people, including guns, the gun show. All right, we did not show this earlier, but Brittany Griner, my ass. We can't question Brittany Griner. We can't question. She's an African-American lesbian, LGBTQ, 
And, ladies and gentlemen, she's a basketball player, so she is not to be questioned. And the WNBA is mad because of this video. Alex Stein 99 confronted, he's a provocateur, he confronted Brittany Griner in an airport on her way to the great state of Indianapolis, or great state of Indiana, Indianapolis, for a WNBA game. Let's see the video. Roll tape, they say in the industry. Like this. Do you still want to? Do you still want to boycott Stop. America, Brittany? Stop. Stop. Get Stop. off me. Stop. Stop. I'm weird. Why? She hates Stop. America. Stop. Are you, what about the Merchant of Death, Brittany? Kind of an idiot move. I mean, look, as someone who I don't ever get accosted, but I do have people come up to me in the airport. I do have people come up to me. Kind of an idiot move. And I get it. You're making yourself try to look good, but. I don't want to hear because of that. You got security. I did. I got security. You know, you got security. All of a sudden, everybody in the league needs to fly com- or fly private. She actually it has been given uh, access to private planes. They she has been allowed by the WNBA to fly fly private. No one's really said why she did not fly private on in this particular case. So this guy, Stein, comes over, and he's going to be a jackass. Of course he's going to be. I mean, look, people are jackasses at different times. But, hey, look, people want to know. Now, all of a sudden, Brittany Griner is captain or queen America. I got nothing for Brittany Griner. I don't care one way or the other about Gr- Brittany Griner. I thought she was held too long. But do I think she should have been traded for the merchant of death? Not my decision to make. You know, you're weird, bro. Well, Everybody's weird. Isn't weird cool? You go to Austin, Texas, uh, weird. Let's get weird. Weird is the way. Blah, 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 blah. It's a jackass move, but I ain't mad about it. Look, if you're going to boycott America and you are going to be traded for the merchant of death, somebody may ask you. I get it. He is probably, let's go all through all the things that Stein is. He's obviously racist. He's a misogynist because it's a woman. He's anti-trans because, well, I don't know. And, of course, he's homophobic. He's all those things for asking a question. Not allowed to ask questions. We are not allowed to ask questions. We must listen to Brittany Griner and the heroes of the WNBA. We are not allowed to question. And they must get private planes because there are WNBA players flying through airports all across the country every day, and nobody even knows. And one guy one time asked a couple questions, and she had security with her who took care of the situation. But damn it, damn it, we must, we must fly private. They're smart. They see a crack, boom. Make some money and fly private. Simple. Uh, This was awesome this past weekend. Mike Gunzelman and Kyrie Irving, two names that are rarely, if ever, said in the same sentence. Now, you know our guy Guns from OutKick. Now, Kyrie Irving is among the best basketball players, talent-wise, skill-wise, ever. But he's an idiot, and he's derailing his own career. I saw today one of those shows, I think it was Jay Will, was talking about the top five NBA point guards in the NBA right now. And he was talking about Kyrie Irving, and he was talking about Kyrie Irving's skill set, blah, 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 all the, all the BS that guys that never coached know. All right, well, here's the deal. Kyrie Irving is not one of the top five point guards right now because mentally he's not there. Physically, great, skill, great. But, hey, look, being a point guard, you got to do some things. I'd have Jalen Brunson on my team 1,000 to 1. Are you kidding me? But anyway, so Dave Portnoy 
uh, made fun of Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving challenged Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports. So Portnoy says, hey, I'm in, man. I'll play. I'll beat you 21 to 17. I'll back you down. And then our guy, Guns, writes an article. Kyrie Irving challenges Barstool's Dave Portnoy to a one-on-one basketball game after Irving's feelings were hurt. Follow me along here. Of course, Kyrie Irving, he's being philosophical here. (laughs) Kyrie Irving then has to chime in, and next thing you know, it's on with my boy Guns. So here's what Kyrie Irving has to say in response to Mike Gunzelman. I challenge you to a game of one-on-one. Guns said, I'll meet you on any of the four corners of the flat earth. Now, below it, this is what Irving said to Guns. Oh, my Gunzelman, welcome to the party. Please tell David to pay you more the next time to write a story like this. I can tell you rush to your computer to get this out on Sunday. Make sure you're treating yourself well, Mike. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot wrong with that. First off, Portnoy doesn't pay Mike Gunzelman. Second off, this was Guns' response. You'll see it coming up here in a second. Gunzelman responded. He quote tweeted. You saw the one just a bit earlier. I challenge you to a game of one-on-one as well, Kyrie. I'll meet you on any of the four corners of the flat earth anytime. Kyrie Irving thinks the earth is flat. Kyrie Irving thinks the uh, Brooklyn Nets don't need a coach. Kyrie Irving thinks, I don't know, that whole anti-Semitic thing is anti-Semitic. And Kyrie Irving thinks that Guns doesn't know how to do research. Guns works for Portnoy. And Kyrie Irving somehow got into Duke. See, back in the day when Kyrie Irving got into Duke, Kyrie Irving was a good, decent, normal human being. Now he's out of his mind. Money will do that. Now, he was driving around, according to Jay Will tell him, he was driving around some ridiculous car second half of the season at Duke. And Kay let it go because, well, Kay understood, Kay evolved. But now he's just, well, let's be honest, Kyrie Irving is just a caricature of himself. You want to see a true American hero? I'm going to show you a true American hero. You know, people say it all the time. Real heroes don't necessarily always wear capes. Let me show you a true American hero. A hero saves a beer at UFC 289, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. He saved the beer. Roll tape. saved. Where did I miss it? Did the guy walk away with it? I just like watching the fight. You go to a UFC fight, a bunch of overstuffed white dudes in affliction t-shirts, like a Greg Doyle family reunion, trying to be tougher than the other. And then they're throwing hands. I don't know where the beer save came in, but I ain't mad about it. I'll watch an affliction wearing white guy UFC right there. Oh, right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he got two beers out of there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my bad. My bad, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, good save. Look, I got to get out of here. I'm going to save the beers. Last fast pitch softball game I played in, we're sitting there, we're playing, collision at home plate. Next thing you know, a brawl breaks out. And my buddy Mike Paulson goes, hey, let's go. I go, are you crazy? I go, we're staying right here, right in the dugout. Because I'm not going to be in one of these videos. You will never, I hope, catch me in a video of a bunch of idiots fighting. Lee said it to me the other day. I said, you know, that guy needs his head bashed. And she goes, you know, Dan, I'm sure at one point in your life you could fight a little bit, but that time has passed. There's no way. She goes, I would love to see it. I would laugh my brains off at it. But I got to tell you, uh uh-uh, no, it ain't happening. Like, look at these idiots. Everybody's just throwing hands. Hands are just flying. But the one dude saved the two beers at the beginning. That man is an American hero. Hey, by the way, speaking of American heroes, you're going to want to stay for this next hour. It is going to be unbelievable. It's going to piss you off in so many different ways. It's going to educate you. Somebody told me that we have great guest bookers. We have great guest bookers. I mean, think about it. What's really going on in the sports world? This is why our show is the greatest, because you're going to hear, you're going to hear from people. Uh, Anson Friedrich is unbelievable. Longtime Anheuser-Busch executive. He's going to tell you stuff, and you're going to be like, what in the hell? But before we get to that, ladies and gentlemen, may I just say a word? My name is Daniel J. Dockage. The Dockage part is Serbia, all right? My mother, uh, Roberta, I forgot my mom's name, Roberta Elizabeth Wurzba. Wurzba is Polish. I'm split 50-50, half Serbian half Polish. So for this week, we're all Serbs, baby. Think about what's going on in the world. First, Dokic, me, most handsome, most prosperous, most entertaining sports slash politics media guy in the entire country, Serbian. Jokic, Jokic dominating the NBA finals, Serbian. Jokic, the Joker, dominates the French freaking open. That's right. Let me just go with those three for a minute because I got another one. Dockage, handsome, glorious, entertaining as hell. Not a media guy. No, 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 no. I will not, I will not cop to be a media guy. No. Mm-mm. I will not do it. I will tell you I am an entertainer. Jokic is just killing folks. Jokic is just making people sad. Jokic is just breaking souls. And, of course, uh, the Joker... Djokovic does what he does, a record 23rd Grand Slam event. But there's more. There's one more Serbian. One more. Darko Radakovic is the new head coach of the Toronto Raptors. He took over for Nick Nurse. Darko Radakovic came over from Serbia as a G League coach a while back and got to tell you, maybe the most respected of all the international coaches. I am just telling you, Darko baby, let's go. I am a now a I am now a fan of the Raptors. It is amazing to me. It is amazing to me that the world that we're living in is dominated by Serbians. You think and people think the Saudi Arabians are starting to dominate the sports world. Oh, nay, nay, Nanook. Serbian, my Serbian brother, flat, wide faces, 
good sized nose, which means, you know, big hands, big nose, big feet. I don't know. I'm just saying, Serbians, Eastern European, we never need the little blue pill. You wake up, the wind blows, we're ready to rock and roll. I'm just serious about it. That's how we roll as Serbs. And now the world is starting to see it. Now the world is coming together for the Serbian world is dominating sports. Hey, you take Serbs out of sports, we got nothing. You got nothing. What are you going to watch? Some guy from Spain win the French Open? Bah! What are you going to watch? Big Perk talk about who? Joel Embiid? Bah! Uh-uh. Kako to... Oh, I was going to swear. I only really know swear words in Serbian. I was raised Catholic. My mother won, right? My dad didn't go to church. My mother won. Serbian Orthodox Church, just so you know, Serbian Orthodox Church, the priest stands with his back to you. There's incense everywhere. It lasts a couple hours. I went twice, once for a funeral and once with my dad. My dad never really went. I wasn't going again. I wasn't going two hours. Father Wood was throwing a 45-minute mass over at St. Peter and Paul. You know what I'm saying? And the holiest of all women, the lovely and talented Bobby Dockich, my mother, knew we were going to Father Wood, not Father Spangler, who gave you a minute, an hour 15. Uh-uh. That's the Catholic way. Serbians with the incense and, and, and the speaking orthodox. No. No, 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 no. No. All right. Anson Fredericks, you're going to want to see this. We have the greatest bookers ever, ever. You're going to want to see why you and I are subject with company after company after company caring about who's having sex with who. You do not want to miss. Go tell your friends. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Get to the YouTube chat. I'm going to read something from Jennifer, too. She put a tweet out that was near and dear to my heart. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. This man that I'm talking to right now, for years and years and years and years, was the president for Anheuser-Busch Sales and Distribution. Now, I'm just going to tell you, Anheuser-Busch has been in the news, right? I mean, that, that, okay, all right. So I'm going to ask a man that has been there. You saw that Anheuser-Busch, for the first time in God knows how long, is no longer America's best-selling beer. You're inside. When you were inside, how big a deal would that have been to the executives at Anheuser-Busch? Yeah, and that's a massive deal. I mean, you're talking about the number one beer brand in America that makes up about 40% of the sales of Anheuser-Busch. And this was a brand until a couple of years ago, it was almost twice the size of its largest competitor out there. And then all of a sudden, after a, a, a ill-advised marketing campaign, partnering with a very controversial figure when Bud Light never partnered with controversial figures. Bud Light was a brand for everybody. Bud Light became the largest brand in the U.S. because it was distinctly apolitical. It was all about sports. It was all about music. It was all about backyard barbecues, things that brought people together. So all of a sudden for Anheuser-Busch to become a very politicized organization, get involved with controversial figures, makes no sense for this brand. And obviously consumers are pushing back. And this was unfortunately How the did, perfect brand to do it on because there's so many other options similar to Bud Light that are readily available and consumers, they feel like they're having an impact seeing those week over week sales numbers decline. 
We all saw that lady very smugly uh, tell us that, you know what, you frat boys, you're out. We're going a wider direction. Let me ask you, because there are very smart people running Bud Light. How does somebody get in that position? How does it happen that this, this, this lady, who's the face of this whole thing, uh, do this? How does this happen? Yeah, Dan, you know, this actually goes back a number of years. I, I was at Anheuser-Busch for over 11 years. I was there when the company was headquartered in St. Louis. Sales and marketing was there. And they were much more in tune with who their customer was. You know, that middle America consumer doesn't like getting involved in all these political issues. You used to be like, you know, on the inside of jokes when you knew about Bud Light, when you were saying things like dilly dilly, or you had, you know, the what's up guys, when you had, you know, with Budweiser as well. You're on the inside of jokes. Now you become the joke. And I think one of that is, one reason that is, is, Seven, eight years ago, Anheuser-Busch moved its sales and marketing headquarters from St. Louis to New York City. And when they do that, the company distinctly changed. The people they hired distinctly changed, had more of kind of a New York City uh, background to a lot of folks. A lot of the marketing agencies they hired were all from New York City. And sort of a lot of the policies they adopted were ones of New York City finance firms, companies like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, that are the largest shareholders in companies like Anheuser-Busch, but also like Target, also like Disney. And it forced these companies to really adopt a lot of what's known as this stakeholder capitalism movement, where instead of companies being uh, beholden to their shareholders and the shareholders just want them to create great products, services, serve their customers, make money, all of a sudden, these large asset managers, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, they're pushing a stakeholder model, which says companies, they have to be beholden to all stakeholders, which includes not just shareholders, but also activist organizations, political organizations. And they're foisting these values on these large corporate companies. So now all of a sudden, when you have someone like Alyssa Heinerschneid, who's in a position at Anheuser-Busch, and Anheuser-Busch has adopted stakeholder capitalism, also environmental, social, and governance goals. Some other things like diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, heck, I was there in 2018 when we first had diversity, equity, inclusion, ESG goals as like footnotes in the annual report. By the end of last year in 2022, Anheuser-Busch had a regular annual report where they report their financials and they had a separate 105 page ESG report. That was all of a sudden talking about progress the company is making in terms of being beholden to these stakeholders. What's your corporate equality index score? How are you performing on diversity, equity, inclusion? And so for these marketing executives, this is sort of the lens and the framework they're looking through. They've lost touch with their customer all across kind of a middle America, and they're looking through this lens of New York City, where it says that, oh, well, you know, there's really only one viewpoint that's out there. This is what you know the stakeholder movement wants. We need to increase our scores of diversity, equity, inclusion. Bud Light was already the most inclusive brand in the world. It included everybody. <laughs> there was lots of people that are black, white, gay, straight, Democrat, Republican. They like football. They like sports. They like others. But somehow that wasn't inclusive enough. And so therefore, you have this new marketing exec that has to go and create more inclusivity. But in the name of creating more inclusivity, they're actually excluding a lot of their existing customers that just want Bud Light to be apolitical, be a great cold beer that you can drink you know, at a party. And that's what it's supposed to be. So that's kind of the problem, Dan. I mean, it's... it's, 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 it's um, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's uh, uh, it shouldn't be this complex. And uh, but unfortunately, when you have a lot of people doing group think in New York City, you know, unfortunately, like their view of inclusivity is not uh, you know, what the brand historically was. You mentioned BlackRock, the CEO of BlackRock in terms of investing, Larry Fink. That dude isn't even shy about it. Here's a middle-aged white dude who must feel guilty about being a billionaire, million or millionaire, middle-aged white guy, talking about we must force behaviors. We must force behaviors of inclusion, 
I, I'm sitting there going, what, 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 what are we, in Russia? You're forcing our behaviors here by some guy that's rich and maybe feels guilty about being rich because he's a white dude? What is this? Dan, you're 100% right. And the crazy thing about it is, is like, you know, most people don't know who BlackRock is, but BlackRock is probably managing your money or your friend's money. And they're managing it either through pension funds. So for pension funds that are in the state of California or New York that manage money on behalf of firefighters, police officers, or people with their 401ks. And BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard are the three largest asset managers in this country. They manage $20 trillion of capital. That's more than the entire GDP of the United States. And with this money, they are the single largest shareholders in 95% of the S&P 500 companies. Disney, Target, Anheuser-Busch, et cetera. And all of them, because they manage money from their biggest clients in the state of California, the state of New York, and those states have now asked them to, if you're going to manage their money, you have to adopt firm-wide commitments to the stakeholder capitalism movement, which also downstream, that is the ESG, environmental social governance, and the DEI standards. So if they're going to manage their money, you have to force these behaviors onto all the largest companies in corporate America. And that's what people are all of a sudden waking up and trying to figure out what has happened. Why are all these companies getting involved in political issues? Well, it's simple, Dan, just follow the money. And the money goes back to politicians in, in California asking companies to divest from things like fossil fuels or asking companies to make commitments to quota systems on boards. This is what is actually happening. And it's your money that's being used to do it. And that's the sad part. And the, the really the real problematic thing here, Dan, is that there is a retirement crisis in this country. Most pension funds are only 80% funded. Most Americans have less than $100,000 in their 401ks. And the problem is this whole stakeholder capitalism movement, it's not new. It's actually been around in Europe for the last 40 years. There's the folks, if you're like Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, they've been pushing this in Europe in 40 years. And what's interesting, you compare Europe's stock market performance the last 40 years to here in the US, which we've had this Milton Friedman shareholder primacy, shareholder capitalism approach. And the US has outperformed its European counterparts in broad based investing by two to 300 basis points per year. So that's thousands of basis points of outperformance that we have received here in the United States by focusing on shareholders, by focusing on shareholder primacy, having companies stick to just making great products, services, serving their customers. That's what creates better investment returns, not this stakeholder capitalism movement. And by the way, the other thing the stakeholder capitalism movement says that they're going to do is, we're going to create better societal outcomes as well. So you might trade off some returns, but you have better societal outcomes. I don't think anybody looks at Europe and says, wow, like, look at this great society. You know, they have lower GDP growth. They have higher unemployment, poor per capita income. And no offense to anybody from Mississippi, but they have the lowest per capita income in the United States. That's the exact same that France has. So I always say, why are we importing a broken European capitalist model here? Where we should be exporting the greatest system known to mankind to raise people out of poverty, increase living standards, which is American free market capitalism. That's what we should be doing. But it doesn't seem to be stopping other companies. Mark Cuban, I'll get your reaction to this. Mark Cuban says woke is a great business model. People listen to Mark Cuban. He just came out and said that the other day, like, I, I can't, I mean, I'm a very uncomplicated guy, as I'm sure you understood within about the first two seconds of talking to me. Um, why complicate this? Why, why say going woke is good for companies? Unless it is, I guess, ultimately, long run. Yeah, I, I, I think Mark's a little bit behind the times. And, you know, there's a, uh, historically, there was a lot of boycotts that failed in terms of, let's call it like the boycott of certain companies. People were upset about the NFL right. five, six years ago. And they were upset at the NFL because people were kneeling and Colin Kaepernick and everything else. 
Well, the thing was that everyone said we're going to boycott the NFL. They didn't do it because there was no other alternative. You know, there's only one NFL. Like, what else are you going to do on Sundays if you're not watching NFL? And last year, the Super Bowl had record viewing. I think the same thing even with Disney. People are upset at Disney getting involved in the parental rights issues last year. But if your kids want to go to Disney World, there's no other real alternative to Disney World. So Disney is continuing to have kind of record high profits. I think this piece, you really have to understand two things. You have to understand the industry that your company is in. And that if you were like a, a company like Anheuser-Busch or Bud Light or like Target, where it's very easy for if you're Anheuser-Busch, everywhere there's Bud Light products, you also have Miller Coors, you have Yingling, you have Miller Light, you have those exact brands with the exact same price at the same bars, restaurants. It's easy for customers to switch. And then it's also easy to see the impact as you're seeing that the sales numbers down week over week. Target, same thing. You can go to Walmart. You can shop at Amazon. There's other alternatives that are easily accessible that the NFL and that uh, that Disney did not necessarily have historically. And the other thing is, as well, is you really have to understand the company's mission. I think, Dan, this is like one thing that's critically important. There are certain companies, they've told everybody that they're going to be incredibly progressive. They're going to support social causes. Take like Ben and Jerry's. When you go on Ben and Jerry's website, they're telling you, that they're supporting defund the police initiatives and that they're trying to overturn election integrity laws. Well, that's part of their brand because they're authentically, there were a couple of hippies in Vermont. They've been doing this for years. Even when they sold the company to Unilever, they said they had a separate board that says we are going to be distinct from Unilever and we're going to do more social causes. So that's their brand. That's their ethos. That's the mission of the company. But they clearly articulated that. So so customers, employees, shareholders at least know what to expect. And then if you don't want to buy Ben & Jerry's, you don't have to. It's free country. Buy something else. I think the problem is you're having these other companies that have never been involved in politics, have never been involved in certain issues, very different mission statements. Anheuser-Busch's mission statement is to dream big to create a future with more cheers. And Bud Light is one of their brands. Their mission is to be easy to drink, easy to enjoy. It was easy to drink and easy to enjoy when they were talking about sports and music and other things, not necessarily these controversial political issues. So it comes back to the mission of the company, setting those expectations, and then making sure that you're holding executives and other people accountable to carry out that mission. And when they don't carry out that mission, then you have to move on and you have to find uh, you know, other people that, that will. So I think that's the distinction, is making sure that you're just consistent with that mission as an organization, sticking to it, and that's what's going to get you in, in, uh, in better shape. Outkick just did a story relative to what you're talking about, Anson. And one of the things that gets into this is, and I'll never understand this, like I'll never understand all ages drag shows and Bud Light has decided they're going to sponsor these things. Now, look, I don't care, you know, you're 21 years old, you want to walk down and, and go into a drag show, but kids, why, why, what, what could possibly make somebody say, you know what? This is a good idea for our brand to be involved with all age drag shows. Yeah, again, if you are a brand and your mission is to it's to make, I don't know, clothes and attire for drag shows, you should be sponsoring those drag shows. Sure. Hey, it's a free country, right. free market. Go do that. That's again, that's not Bud Light's mission. Their mission, again, is to make sure that it's easy to drink, easy to enjoy. And also, there's ad codes within the whole beer industry where you're not supposed to be advertising to people under the age of 21. That's why Ted Cruz right now is even investigating their sponsorship of Dylan Mulvaney, because this is somebody who is part of their acts is they're a girl, that they're actually not a female, they're not a woman, they're a girl, and they, with their TikTok followers, they have a lot of underage people that follow this person. So therefore, that there's a bunch of reasons that Bud Light shouldn't be getting involved in, uh, in these controversial issues, but a lot of it is you shouldn't be advertising beer to underage people. You're just not allowed to do it. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to me. So let me ask you, um, your thought, ultimately, long run, long term, is Cuban right? Is this going to be good for business? Because I always try to look at things both ways, Anson. I look at, okay, we, I, whatever, may get mad at it. But the people that are running Target, the people that are running Anheuser-Busch, are smart people, they, right? No? So ultimately, long-term, is this where our country and our businesses, our iconic brands are headed for profit? Dan, I left Anheuser-Busch on my own to co-found a company called Strive Asset Management because I don't think that this is the long-term trend. I don't. I think that this is a blip. I think we've gone through a couple of strange years where you've had these large asset managers pretending to be the owners of companies, telling the CEOs of Target and Anheuser-Busch and Disney that they have to adopt these divisive policies. I created Strive Asset Management because I don't think this whole stakeholder capitalist movement, again, does the two things it purports to do. Stakeholder capitalism says that you are going to create superior investment returns and better societal outcomes. I think both of those are false. As we're seeing with billions of dollars of market cap, that's been erased from Anheuser-Busch and Target over the last couple of weeks. And then also, we should be allowing elected politicians to decide these issues, whether it's election integrity issues, whether it's transgendered uh, biological males be competing in sports against biological women. These are things for individual citizens to be able to decide, not necessarily large asset managers. So that's why I I left Anheuser-Busch. I co-founded a company called Strive Asset Management. And all we are doing is that we are about shareholder primacy. We believe the best way to unlock shareholder value is leading companies to excellence. That's what you do. You focus on your customers. That's what's going to create better shareholder returns and then leave all this other political stuff to, to the electoral process. So I'm a, I'm, I'm believe, I think the other side of the coin of Mark Cuban. I don't think Mark Cuban's right. I think it's going to be better longer term, not only for American free market capitalism, for shareholder returns, for companies that to stick clearly to their mission, stay in their lane, but also better for society as well. So individual citizens can decide how we're going to govern ourselves on these issues. So I take the other side of the coin from Mark. I don't think that Mark that, Mark, that Mark's right. I put my money where my mouth is by uh, being an entrepreneur and uh, founding something to uh, to make that that vision of mine a reality. Uh, last thing before I let you go, Anson, we, we talked about BlackRock. We talked about Vanguard. I talked about the CEO, uh, Fink. I don't know if it was you or somebody when I was looking, you know, researching for this interview, talked about, well, you know, a lot of this is just a bunch of rich white guys feeling guilty about being rich white guys. Uh, does that play into this? I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of that, that New York City mindset as well. When you're in New York City and you're a billionaire and, you know, it, uh, if you want to go to the right cocktail parties and you want to go to the right events and you want to get invited to the right things. And so you have to so-called say the right things. And it's relatively easy when you're a billionaire to be waxing and waning about climate change and about about uh, 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 racial justice issues, et cetera, when there's like real world impacts for these companies to get involved in these political issues. I mean, you're already a billionaire, you already have all types of money, you can keep getting invited to the same parties and you don't necessarily need, you know, another couple bucks in your pocket. But for these companies and for like the millions of Americans whose retirement accounts depend on Bud Light making Bud Light, Target serving all the families that it does, this is important for these companies to stick to their mission and make sure that they're making money and not just getting involved in social issues at the um, at the expense of profits and then also at the expense, frankly, of a more harmonious society. Because, hey, the last thing that we need is more companies getting involved in these contested public policy issues. The, the private sector used to be this, this uh, apolitical sanctuary where people could come together of all backgrounds, 
focus on the mission of the company, that was enough. Now, all of a sudden, in this divided society we live in, now bringing those politics into businesses, again, bad for business, bad for society at large. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of this guilt thing that maybe these guys made so much money on, on, on Wall Street, but uh, I don't think the right way to um, absolve himself of that guilt is going and foisting some of these values onto all these, uh, all these American companies at the expense of shareholder profits. I'm with you, brother. Thank you, Anson. That's great stuff. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us. It was awesome. Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Look, we're trying to inform you here. And my God, I mean, you got all these rich dudes just telling you what you're going to do. Forced, forced behavior by some fat ass rich white guy that's a CEO of uh, BlackRock, which invests your money. Forced behavior. We're going to force you. Well, you don't have to force anybody. Just use common sense and logic, at least. You know, don't hate anybody, but I don't have to sit there and watch uh, some drag queen dancing, you know, with her whatever out in front of kids. That just doesn't make, that doesn't make sense to me even a little bit. Maybe it does to you. You know, maybe it does to you. Maybe all this makes sense to you, but it doesn't make sense to me. And when I see the term forced behavior, it just pisses me off. I'm sitting here going, what are you talking about? You're forcing us to do what? You're forcing us to change our mindset about the gay community? Well, my mindset is I could care less who you're having sex with. Biden said the other day, I saw this, Biden went back to like 1985, and he said like, well, you know, somebody could get married and then get kicked out of a restaurant. When's the last time you heard a gay couple get kicked out of a restaurant? Let me just ask you that. Let me, let me just very simply, Biden goes 19. Everybody's trying to divide. If you don't divide, you got nothing. And everybody's trying to stand on the shoulders of somebody else to make all of us feel guilty. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it doesn't make, it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make any sense to me to follow it. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I get what Biden's doing. I get what the far left media is doing. If things were good, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. If you notice, even here in Indianapolis, let me give you an example. Even here in Indianapolis with our Democratic mayor, our town has gone to hell. We've had 14 murders last weekend. We had 14 shootings. 14. All right. Bunch of people dead over the weekend. You know what the governor or the mayor came out and said? You know what he talked about? Of course you know what he talked about. He didn't talk about the idiot prosecutor that everybody in all communities, black, white, wherever, knows is soft on everything. He didn't talk about that. He talked about guns. Of course he talked about guns. He didn't talk about the fact that we have a chicken-blank prosecutor, a drug problem out of control in the African-American and white communities. In all communities, that's what we got. But we don't talk about that because that might offend. I mean, when I talk to police officers here in Indianapolis, and I talk to many, they're like, yeah, this prosecutor's killing people. He's pandering. He's pandering for votes. And meanwhile, African-American leaders like Charles Harrison are like, this is insanity. What's going on? Fix it. No, it's the guns. Really? Okay. How about we make it, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe some consequences. How about we put some police officers out there? How about we support blue? Jeez, my goodness. It is absolutely insane to me the way we go about our business here. It is absolutely nuts to me how we go about things that, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm just telling you, you know, it, it is insanity. Did you see this? The PGA, I told you this. I told you Jay Monahan, the head of the PGA tour, said that his tour could not compete, could not compete with the money from the Saudis. What do I always tell you? And that's why they had the merger. Money talks, 
BS walks. Money talks BS walks. It just does. It absolutely does. Money is it, people. As soon as it came out, you knew the deal, right? You're like, ah, man. They couldn't compete with the cash. And the PGA Tour looked beyond their nose and saw, wait a second, we're not going to be able to compete with the cash. We got to get it. We got to get this together or else we're going to have a serious problem. That's true. Uh, so anyway, that's what they decided. They decided, oh, man, wow, looky here. This is not good. We are, we are in trouble. We must do something about this. So they got together. All right, let me give you another one. You ready? Eagles star Miles Sanders. This is where players should just shut the living hell up. Serious business. Don't you think? So Miles Sanders played on the Eagle. They got to the Super Bowl. So all this new media, Miles Sanders is mad. He's mad about how the Eagles used him in the Super Bowl. See, you guys think that this new media is great. And it is because it exposes the dumbasses that play professional sports. It doesn't do anything other than that. You can say it does, but Miles Sanders got to the Super Bowl. I want you to think about this. He got to the Super Bowl with a team that wasn't supposed to get to the Super Bowl. So what does he do? He complains about him not being used. I mean, think about that for just a second. Just a second. Think about it. He's all mad about the way he was being used. Really? Oh, okay. Well, sorry about that, kid. Not, you know, I ain't mad at you, but hey, look, sorry about it. You weren't used right. Your team, instead of, you know what, man, we had a great year. I'm telling you, players are idiots. They, they make excuses. They, they can't wait. They just whine and complain. Now, Miles Sanders is, guess what? Miles Sanders is in Carolina. He gets two years, $14 million. Is there ever a player that says, hey, you know what? Yeah, what a great year. Yeah, I had a great year. A great time with my teammates. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. But we got to listen to some idiot named Miles Sanders. Well, it wasn't used right. Really? Oh, okay. Well, too bad. I mean, it seemed like your team did pretty good. No, didn't. Oh, thought it did. I mean, you got to the Super Bowl. Huh. All right. I guess. I, I don't know. So you just laugh at this stuff. It's just so freaking ridiculous. You just go about your business. And that's the new media. I give it to you. I'll tell you this much. It absolutely, absolutely gives me good stuff. I got stock up and stock down. And then I got Sammy and Chloe Chedester. Uh, You saw the video of them hugging at a Christian school, Biola College in in, uh, (laughs) in, (laughs) in California. These two are hugging on TikTok, Jesus, and they got their stuff pulled. I got stock up, stock down. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
Hey, welcome back. It is that time. It is Monday. It is 1030. We give you a stock up and stock down. Look, everybody, and I mean everybody, loves a good Serbian. We do. And Novak Djokovic won his record 23rd Grand Slam. There was a time when nobody thought anybody would beat Pete Sampras's record, and Nadal and Djokovic and the rest, I mean, golly, they just came out and uh, obliterated things. And you know what? My man Djokovic is no joke. Now, Djokovic, don't get him confused because I got him confused. I was calling the Joker Djokovic. They're both called Joker. I don't know. I'm the doctor. They're the Joker. But my Serbian brother, Novak Djokovic came out and dominated things. You see him right there on the Swiss of the Chapeau. That's where he was. I don't know where the hell he was, but I'm just telling you, I love the fact that Serbians are dominating the sporting life. You guys think the Saudis, nay, 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 it's the Serbs. It's the Slivovic drinking, bad sweatsuit wearing, big faced Serbians that are dominating. And I mean dominating everything. And I mean, we are too. I told you, Radjevic is the new head coach. Darko Radjevic is the new head coach of the Raptors, replacing a champion, Nick Nurse, which I'll never understand. But hey, you do you. Djokovic just won the French. And of course, Joker is getting ready to win his first, despite the racial uh, epitaphs that have been thrown his way by Stephen A. Smith, Big Fat Perkins, and the rest. Us Serbians don't care, man. We don't care. I mean, I had to hear about Coach Knight's incredibly racist attacks on me about uh, a dictator, a child baby murderer named Milosevic. Knight was just awful towards me about being Serbian. I just laugh at him and go, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You read a book one time. Go to hell. That was kind of my answer all the time, but he would get mad. Uh, Stock up Andy Reid. Look, here's the deal. Let me give you guys a tip, a life tip. The other day, Lee and I are in a restaurant called Element Something. In, uh, where the hell were we? Perrysburg. No, Sylvania, Ohio. It was great. Uh, Lee's mom died. We went to the restaurant at the end of the day just to have a glass of wine and dessert and unwind. It's a horrible, horrible day. And we're sitting there, and there's a girl. Her name is Alexa. She was our wait, waitress. She, 20 years old, she was leaving Sunday to go to Copenhagen. She is going to be a doctor. She goes to Ohio State. And she was awesome. And we had a great time. Now, this is a tipless restaurant. Basically, what you do is they add 20%. You don't have to tip, you cheap bastards. So anyway, she's awesome. So I gave her a 50. I said, buy something great in, you know, Copenhagen. Buy beers, wine, whatever. Have a good time. I slipped her a 50, and we paid our bill. That's what you do to service people. That's what you do. Yeah, you can give a zillion dollars to your church, and that's great. I give to my church, is. I give to two churches. But I got to tell you, I would rather tithe people. Well, Andy Reid is not shy about that as well. He loves food. Andy Reid has always talked about food, and it doesn't matter the food. It doesn't have to be Greg Popovich acting like he's something he's not with $150 or $1,500 wine bottles. So, you know what? After going to the White House, Andy Reid was asked about the food. He said they did have some good stuff. They had, they had uh, I never had this before, a grill, a French toast, grilled cheese and ham sandwich that they even sprinkled a little bit of powdered sugar on. I mean, it was phenomenal. There was an abundance of this. They had chicken fingers. It hadn't seen before, little bite-sized squares of the heart of a watermelon. My hat went off to the chef. This is where I'm getting at right here. Do this. I went back and talked to him. I just go, hey, you guys are unbelievable. 
Whoever cut all that out had the patience to do it. My hat goes off to him. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, I don't understand that anybody, and this is in a Sports Illustrated article, how could you not ask what is an exotic chicken finger? I don't know what the hell an exotic chicken finger is. I'm not the biggest chicken finger guy. Like, I'll eat anything put in front of me, although I am in a diet. I'll tell you about it at the end of the show. I'm changing my life, but that's, you know, Monday. Anyway, the hell's an exotic chicken finger, Andy Reid? I want to know. We got to get Andy Reid on the show, and that's the only question we're going to ask. The hell's an exotic chicken finger? I want to know. We talked about this earlier, and we won't stop talking about this. The great Mike Gunzelman who you know him as the gun show here on our show. He gets into a spat with Kyrie effing Irving. Now, Kyrie effing Irving is trying so hard to be relevant. His people, they leak to Shams and others the fact that he's trying to get LeBron to come to Dallas. LeBron James coming to Dallas has about as much chance as me going to Prague this week. It ain't happening. LeBron James got kids in L.A., but Kyrie Irving is trying. He's trying, he's trying, he's trying. So Dave Portnoy was all over Kyrie Irving about who knows what. Kyrie Irving challenged Dave Portnoy to a, well, a one-on-one game. Portnoy wasn't messing around. Portnoy said, I'll back your little ass down. I'll go 21 to 17 on you. Blah, 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 blah. Enter the gun show. The gun show says, wait a second here, people. Look at the young Mike Gunzelman just being a stud. Gun says, wait a second here. And writes an article. Kyrie got his feelings hurt. Kyrie then came at the gun show. You don't come at the gun show, people. Nuh-uh. You come at the gun show, you got a problem. And he don't look like that anymore. He's built like a brick you-know-what house. He, then guns, says this. He says, hey, Kyrie, I'll play you on any of the four corners of the flat earth. Kyrie Irving is such a jag. He's so stupid. And Irving, of course, had no idea who he was dealing with. He thought that our guy Guns, you know what? Our guy Guns goes out and works for Portnoy, which he doesn't. He works for Clay. He works for us. And it's spectacular. It's absolutely spectacular. So stock up Mike Gunsman. And remember, Kyrie Irving thinks the earth is flat, uh, is anti-Semitic apparently, Thinks, thought that the uh, Brooklyn Nets did not need a coach, thinks that LeBron James is coming over with him, and that Gunsy baby, or I'm sorry, not Guns, uh, yeah, Guns works for Dave Portnoy. And he got into Duke. Yeah, what are you going to do? Hey, he can put a ball in a basket. If you can put a ball in a basket, we're supposed to listen to you. Seriously, we must listen to you. Wait a second, what can he do? He can put a ball in a basket. Oh, man, I got to tell you, stock down. The New York Mets, like everybody, all I ever hear, all I ever hear from anybody at any time is, oh, man, Buck Showalter is a great manager. Buck Showalter is a guy you got to have. Buck Showalter, uh, he's a great, oh, Buck Showalter. Uh, Buck Showalter this, Buck Showalter that, Buck Showalter, hey, I'll tell you what, you want a baseball man, you go get yourself Buck Showalter. What's it dude won? Maybe with the Yankees way back when, I don't know, but everybody, Buck Showalter, 
Oh, yeah, you got to get old Buck. Who do you want to manage? Oh, hell, Buck will take care of it. Well, they were losing seven games in a row. Their players are playing, uh, I don't know, like complete idiots. So Buck had a closed-door meeting. He said the players were urged to dig down deep. He said the players were urged to find another level of competitiveness. Yeah. And they broke their losing streak. The Mets are a mess. Look, let's make no mistake. All right, shall we? The only people that care about the New York Mets live in Queens. There isn't anybody outside of New York, i.e. Queens, that cares even a little bit about the New York Mets. However, the New York Mets live, guess where? New York. So guess what? We interesting because they were a drug-filled, crazy group of maniacs. And they ended up coming back, winning the World Series against the Red Sox. That's the only time I think anybody nationally cared about the New York Mets. But every single day, every single way, we have the New York Mets. New York Mets. Let me tell you the New York Mets record. After all this payroll, all this Steve Cohen's doing all these different things. 31 and 35. I don't know. Why do I care about the New York Mets? I don't. Why would I ever care about the New York Mets? I won't. You don't care about them either. That's it. You don't. You don't care about them. And don't act like you do because you don't. So, oh, Buck, show Walter. I'm going to get me to charge. Oh, Buck, man, he, oh, Skip. Skip. We're going to get Skip. Yeah. Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, apparently, Justin Trudeau uh, got a lot of help from the Beijing government. Shocking. Apparently, Justin Trudeau joins the crime family of the Bidens as among, ladies and gentlemen, among the most corrupt. Justin Trudeau, no surprise, who has wore blackface and somehow got away with it. Justin Trudeau is among, we find out, shockingly enough, the most, the most among the most politicians. But he's in Canada, so everybody says, all right, okay. Well, you know, I don't know. Justin Trudeau disqualified the investigator into the investigation of guess who? Justin Trudeau. Involving what? China. China. They, he did not let them investigate him in China. So guess what? Guy had to go. Justin Trudeau, if you are a politician from, of any, I don't know, of any success, you are a corrupt D-bag. Hey, do we have the video of Conor McGregor just beating the living hell out of the Heat mascot? I mean, you know what? Why is it that we celebrate maniacs? <laughs> I don't know. Like, women like maniacs. Women don't like, like, you know, the, the, the one weirdo. No, women like maniacs. Teams, TV, social media likes maniacs. That's Justin Jackson on the left, uh, uh, Jason Jackson, who is the biggest homer ever for the Heat. He's a good dude. We're, he was a good guy, went to Bowling Green, very important guy in his own mind. But he is absolutely interviewing an idiot. And that idiot is Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, in a stunt that apparently went wrong, or he didn't know that the mascot, you know, it's just a spongy thing, beat the hell out of the Heat mascot, put him in the hospital. He put him in the freaking hospital. Now, let me ask you a question. How do all these guys avoid prosecution? 
A few years ago at, at Allegheny or University of Allegheny or Allegheny College, whatever the hell it's called, a kid allegedly drugged another, a girl in the bathroom. A guy punched the guy who drugged the girl. Guy's doing three years for punching a guy in a bar fight over the guy who got punched drugging a girl. He's doing three years. Three years, and he's a felon for a college bar fight. Now, let me ask you a question. Every time I see these things, I ask myself a simple question. How in the Sam hell does Colin McGregor keep punching people and not go to jail? It, it is absolutely stunning to me. No, I mean it. I mean, it is fascinating. It is stunning. It is amazing to me that this continues to happen. Every, how many dudes has this guy punched? How many times has this guy hit somebody? But some kid that went to Allegheny College, he's in jail three years for breaking the face of a guy that allegedly, allegedly, Roofied a girl, made her violently sick in a bathroom. It's unbelievable. But anyway, what did I say? Colin Connor? I mean, Colin McGregor. Welcome to being rich, Dan. That's exactly right. And we celebrate. Oh, he'll be invited to the next thing. He'll be on the next commercial you see. It's amazing to me what we do. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. It is simply amazing. No Fun League Sports says, when was the last time he won a UFC fight? When was the last time he fought? If I'm that mascot, I'm suing everybody. I, I, I'm not a suing guy. I fell on a chair at a restaurant. My last thought was suing somebody. Uh, I'm not Mr. Sue guy. But I got to tell you, you put some maniac out there that loses his mind and beats the living hell out of me, I've had enough. I have. The world is insane. I, 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 the world is insane, and we're going to show you something that, in my opinion, is even more insane. And I'll make sure that we get to this because, ladies and gentlemen, we showed you this video the other day. Sammy and Chloe Chedister go to Biola College. They go to Biola College, a Christian school in California. This is what they did. So they hugged Jesus. Sammy, Chloe, you hugged Jesus at a Christian college, and you put it on TikTok, and the freaking world exploded. Walk me through what happened here. Yeah, so pretty crazy. It was the last week of college before I graduated, and I was with my sister walking around campus for like a last walkthrough, and I was like, Chloe, just take a quick video of me. I'm going to go hug Jesus one last time because it's so special and so unique that we have a Jesus mural in the middle of our college university. So as I did that and I ended up, I was like, I'm going to post this on Instagram and show the light and love of Jesus. So I did that. And when I did that, the next day after I got some interactions and viewed some followers and views from that video, uh, Instagram shut that down immediately and said, hey, we're suspending your account. So I went to go log in and they said, you're suspended for 90 days for going against the community guidelines on Instagram, which is absolutely insane. What, what were the guidelines? I mean, Instagram, I see naked people, three-quarters naked people. I see all kind of nonsense on Instagram. But hugging Jesus is where they draw the line? Exactly. It was, I was, at, my mind was blown. There's no way this is happening when 
social media is so sinful and there's so many bad things happening, inappropriate images and videos. And yet I'm hugging Jesus, showing the love of our most high king. And I got suspended and ended up getting banned and they deleted my entire account because of that video. So what did the school say? Did the school say anything? Yeah, no, they haven't reached out yet. I'm actually surprised. I, I think they will. Um, but yeah, it's a Christian university in Los Angeles. Such a special, amazing, the best college ever. And yeah, because of hugging Jesus, I do not have my old Instagram. I got deleted. All right, so let me ask you guys, both Sammy and Chloe, did you have a problem with your account? Like, was this a second strike or a third strike? Or was this some, you know, was there anything like that? Yeah, go for it. No, definitely not. I mean, this was the first time Sammy even got warned about anything. And then the moment she tried to refute the claim that her Instagram should even get suspended because of this innocent video, they banned her account permanently. And I just think it's so sad. And I've seen it happen to many people um, recently because they're sharing their love of Jesus and they're sharing truth of Christianity in the mm -hmm. Bible. And this just goes to show how real Jesus is, because they're trying to take down Jesus. I don't see it happening to other religions, to other things. It's happening to Jesus and Christianity. And it's really sad. And it is proven in the Bible that this is supposed to happen, you know, but it's sad that it's so real. And our eyes have been completely opened to all of it because of it. We've got us taught us so much just through Sammy's account, getting permanently banned because of sharing her love for Jesus. You know, you live in California. The Los Angeles Angels are hosting a night where a group that is built on blasphemy towards Jesus, towards Catholicism, uh, is being honored on the field. And I have said, and others have said, look, if this was about Muslims, if this was about any other re religion other than Christianity, they would never do that. I feel, and I'm guessing you do too, that there's a bit of an attack on Christianity going on right now. Exactly. I think Satan is trying so hard to take away Christians and love and kindness and all the fruits of the spirit that Jesus gives us. And it's honestly just so sad to see it play out in so many parts of our world right now. And so I think as Christians, like we need to stay grounded in our faith and not allow Satan to take over because Jesus is more powerful than Satan. When, when, when you first got and posted it on Instagram and you guys know you had Instagram accounts and you know, there's different <laughs> levels, right? I mean, sometimes something doesn't blow up. Sometimes something does blow up that kind of thing. Right. Did the actual video, the initial video that you did, did this go viral? Did this become a big thing? Or was this just kind of a normal, you know, normal video, a normal response to your video? Yeah, so I posted it on Instagram first as a reel, and then I ended up posting it on TikTok. But on Instagram, I had about 20,000-ish views, I believe, 20,000, 30,000. So it had a decent amount of views. And then I think the following day is when I got, I tried to open Instagram, and it was just automatically, like, you can't log in. You're done for 90 days. And I was like, what? Like, because of Jesus? Um, and then I ended up posting it on TikTok, which has about half a million views right now, I believe. Or in hers has also my response video so, to her band has like, I think almost so 500. It blew, it blew up. Yeah. I'm guessing a normal video you guys post doesn't get to 500. No. <laughs> yeah. 
So what has been the response of, of people? What have been the mentions? Honestly, it's been so positive. I think I've found what maybe one response that was negative. There has been thousands of comments. I think well over 5,000 comments or something like that. But people are really supporting. And it seems like there's a huge Christian community that's coming together. And a lot of people have said, hey, I've experienced the same thing. Hey, keep sharing your faith. Thank you so much for speaking out. Because so many people are afraid right now to speak out. And because of this reason, I mean, we are getting attacked. We are getting our accounts banned, you know. And when we like social media, we like it. And it can be used for good. Um, So it's been really encouraging to us, to really encouraging, actually, to be able to get that support and know that when we share about Jesus, um, there are people that love it and still love Jesus and still Christians out there using social media for a good thing. I want to clarify something. I said the Los Angeles Angels were honoring an anti-Christian group. It's the Dodgers. Sometimes my brain doesn't work, but, you know, I'll get back (laughs) on track. All right. So when when you... When you initially do this and somebody says, we're going to ban you for this, a couple things usually happen. One, uh, other people re- come forward and say, yeah, we got banned for the same type of things. Like, you know, have others said this that to you? Like, yeah, we got banned for, you know, kissing a cross or for doing Has that happened? Actually, literally like two days ago, my friend who... Um, He's verified and he has a lot of followers. And the only thing he does on his social media is literally post about God and literal truth. It's a wholesome account on Instagram and TikTok. And he just said he got restricted on Instagram because of sharing false information they quoted um, when they claimed why they were restricting his account. So it's happening all over. It's just a lot of people, I think, aren't speaking out about it, which is sad because the more we speak out about it, the more aware people will become of it. Mm -hmm. And Ultimately, Jesus Christ will be glorified because why is this innocence getting taken down? Walk me through this again. I think you said it earlier. What was the official response? Were you, were you posting misinformation? I mean, I, I heard about your friend, but what was, what was the specific reason they said, no, 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 your account's no longer? Yeah, so when I tried to open my Instagram app, and it was the day after I posted the reel of me hugging the Jesus Merrill, they said it just came up as a box and it said, your account has been suspended for 90 days for going against the community guidelines of Instagram. And like pretty much hugging Jesus is against community guidelines, which is absolutely absurd and so sad that that's even a thing. I was like, I was like, no ways is happening. So we had to speak out about it. And that's why we ended up posting the video together. Has anybody from Instagram reached out? Is there any way to contact anybody? Yeah, no one has reached out, but I've reached out and I've said, hey, my sister's account got banned for like horrible reasons when, and so I tried to explain it and people just have not responded. And so, and these are people I think high up in, um, in Instagram, Instagram creators. And so I think they're just staying out of it, which is bad. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I, I'm turning on my Instagram now, and one of the first things I see is I know it's a racially charged joke from Family Guy. Like, I don't know what, I'm not like all day on Instagram. I post and then I pretty much leave it, but I'm looking at it, and there's a, there's a half-naked girl. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like, so the guy, it just fascinates me that these guidelines 
are about Jesus, not about all this other crap. But it also fascinates me, guys. You know, your college, Biola, it's a Christian biblical school. If I were the dean or whatever, chancellor, whatever you have, I would be defending the living out of you guys. I would be like, wait a second here. I would be public. I would be vocal. I would be outraged. I mean, I would be too. Um, I think we should reach out. I'm pretty sure they've already seen it. Someone sent it or something. But yeah, I mean, I wish we had more backup because it is sad what's happening. And I think that the more we get the word out about what is happening, the more we can even share about Jesus. It's not like we're just, we just want our Instagram account back. It's also like, this is an opportunity to take it and be like, Hey, we can share about Jesus because of this. So yeah, I would love more support from our our university that we spent four years that we love. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an outrage to me. I mean, that, you know, walk the walk. I mean, it's one thing to say you're something, but walk the daggone walk when somebody's being persecuted that you said spent four years there and apparently loves the school and had a great, you know, you just called it the greatest school in the country. Girls, I, 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 I hope you don't stop speaking out. I really don't because it, people need to know the story. People need to know what's happening to Christianity, not only you know high-profile stuff like Dodger Stadium, but also things of this nature. This, this needs to become high-profile, and this needs to – well, there needs to be an answer, my opinion. And I can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us thank and allowing you. us to share a little bit more of our story. Yeah, and any time. And if anything else happens, we want to reach out and make sure we, we follow uh, whatever the follow-up is because I love the fact that these two brave young ladies, and thank you so much for are speaking up. you got to speak up. You can't just sit back and go, oh, okay. Yeah, Kevin Wolf, good for these young ladies uh, for standing up. Great choice of interview, Dan. Right, right. You know, um, I don't know. I... I um, I got to tell you, I'm all for it. Thank you, ladies. Um, look, all right. We had a great, we've had a great show today, but we are not done. We are always, well, you know, we got woke dopes coming up. Let's see who is woking and who is doping in our society. Let's see the dumbest of the dumb right here. What do we got here? Oh, geez. <laughs> you guys are mean on this show. You guys are, uh, come on. That's not President Biden. I can tell. Let me see. Ah, there's no hair plugs there. I can tell. Take us to your leader. Our leader, he's just taking a nap. What? I don't know. Speaking of woke and dopes, uh, by the way, the athletic, uh, good. I'm not mad at this. They're laying off 20 reporters today, 4% of their journalistic staff, and apparently they lost like a blank ton of money. Good. Good. Note also says the Athletics moving 20 reporters from current beats to new ones, including regional covers or general assignment. Get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of you clowns. Get rid of the Indy Star, the Toledo Blade. Get rid of all of you. If you're not going to go honest, go home. All right, what do we got next? No, oh, I love this woke adobe. Disney working on more inclusive mermaid. <laughs> oh, big mermaid. Yeah. Let's get the biggins out here. 
You can't get enough diversity and inclusion. Let's get more big. Let's just get a big old one out there. I don't care if you're black or white. Let's get some size out there. Let's get some size flopping around. Yeah. There's some smart people at Disney. Take your daughter to see some bigot. Hey, look, I want my daughter to understand that this ain't healthy. I want my son to understand that this ain't healthy. Period. What do you got next? <laughs> the Boston Tea Party ain't got nothing on the Bud Light Overthrow Party, people. I love it. The spirit of revolution lives on. The spirit of revolution. The Boston Tea Party. The Boston Bud Light Party. I'm working. I'm working on Miller Lite, fellas, on the golf outing. All right, before we go, I got to say, sad weekend. Middle of the show on Friday, I learned that my mother-in-law, the beautiful, the uber-talented, the up-for-anything Sandy Ross, was in trouble on her back porch. We had found out through my stepson that she had collapsed on her back porch. We learned basically, you know, halfway through the show that my mother-in-law, Sandy Ross, passed away. Lee's mother was awesome. Lee's mother battled all kinds of things. She had a very difficult life. She had a very difficult upbringing. Her mother, father never told her and her brothers and sisters that she loved. It was just awful. But this woman was fantastic. I've never met a person in my entire life, in my entire life, that was more loyal to her kids or, in fact, to her son-in-law than Sandy Ross. She was fiercely loyal. She wasn't overbearing. She was just fiercely loyal to her children. She lost her husband, Don Ross, on the 9th of June, 12 years ago. Sandy Ross died on the 9th of June the other day. It's a one in three, one, it's a one in 132,000 chance of that happening. Spouses dying on the same day uh, years later. Sandy Ross was an unbelievable mother to her son, Donnie, an unbelievable mother to Lee, an unbelievable wife to the late Don Ross. The community is devastated in Whiteford, Ohio. People from all over talking about how much fun. Sandy Ross and Don Ross had a house, a country home, a little country home with a field next to it. This is how much they loved their kids. They knew that Lee and their friends wanted to have parties. So Don Ross and Sandy Ross built a sand volleyball pit, and the Ross house was the party. The Ross house had tents over it all weekends, people sleeping in there, people hanging out. Everybody wanted to see Sandy, Grandma Sandy. Everybody wanted to see Grandpa Don. It was that house. It was the house in the neighborhood. Sandy Ross died. I always loved Sandy Ross because when I came first time to Lee's house, Lee was dating another guy, but she knew that she and I had this connection. Sandy told Lee, this man is a keeper. Do not lose this man. That's right. Uh, Sandy and I had a wonderful time at her daughter, her, her granddaughter, Tegan's graduation at Harvard a couple weeks ago. I would push Sandy uh, in her chair, in her walker. And I told the guy, and she was up for anything. I told the guy behind the bar at the student athlete dinner, look, we're trying to get Sandy laid here. Pour her a glass of wine, will you please? Poured her a big glass of wine and Sandy looked at me. She goes, you know, it just might work. Just that kind of fun, that kind of person. She was in pain all the time. She fought through it. And, you, you know, Lee went, and I'm stumbling through this, and I apologize, but Lee went through all of her financials, and everything was done for her children. She didn't have much. She lived on Social Security, but she did 
everything, and I mean everything, for her family. The greatest Christmas gifts came from Sandy Rush. She didn't have any money, but she figured out a way to get $50 to each kid through a pull tape ball thing that was always fun. You always knew that Sandy Ross was going to get you something, something from as seen on TV. Didn't matter. You were going to get something, whether it was, what did we get? I don't even know. I got them all over the house. I miss Sandy Ross already. We were at the house all weekend. Lee's still there going through everything. I came home to do the show. I miss Sandy Ross. Sandy Ross would stay weeks with us, and I would see her upstairs, her teeth out at the kitchen table, plucking her eyebrows. If she was going to go out, she was going to be made up. Her hair was going to be done. The makeup was going to be on. But she was the least pretentious person that I know. I love you, Sandy Ross. Rest in peace.